Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Atlanta. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. Amanda, it's another Flower Hour. Here we go, Jeremiah. (laughs) (laughs) How are you this week? I'm doing well. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, so if my voice sounds like we have two male hosts now, it's just, uh, (laughs) it's just, you know, being human sometimes. Um, But I'm excited to be here and talking with you. (laughs) (laughs) So what have you been baking this week? Well... Uh, so after we talked with Kate from Zumbos, she had mentioned on that episode, his V8 cake, um, which I thought was a really cool cake to see made on the show. It really captured me. And then she reminded me of it, um, just because we work with vanilla so much. So anybody listening, the V8 cake is a cake with different components that all celebrate vanilla. Um, eight different components, hence the V, hence the eight. So anyway, I just thought we don't really celebrate vanilla enough. You know, it's used in almost every baking dessert or anything, but not many bakes actually highlight vanilla as the star of the show. And so I thought I really want to do this. Um, And so similar to her V8 cake or to Zumbo's V8 cake, I made, I just in a cheeky way named it V4 uh, because I did a cake with four different vanilla components. Um, And so the cake part itself was a vanilla malt cake. And then I filled it with a layer of vanilla wafer cookie butter that I made, which is really, really easy. All it is is cookies just blended up in the food processor. I added a little bit of agave syrup, a little bit of coconut oil, and then I just eyeballed some water just to get the right texture and whirled it around and spread that in there. And then I made it a, a vanilla Italian meringue and um, buttercream and frosted it in that and then drizzled some vanilla white chocolate ganache on top. Anyway, it was very delicious. And, um, I looked up the V8 cake, by the way, have you ever looked up that recipe? I have not looked at the recipe yet. Tell me. Well, Kate mentioned that it's a multi-day project and she wasn't kidding. As I read through that, I just, cause at first I thought, well, maybe I'll make this. And then I felt so fatigued halfway through just reading the recipe that I was like, no, I don't think I have the stamina for that. So, I opted for the layer cake and did a V4 instead of a V8, but that's what I've been baking. (laughs) Wait, tell me about your Italian meringue buttercream and any tips maybe you could give our listeners. Oh yeah. I have some really good tips. I'm excited to share. So with most meringues, it's a one-to-one ratio. You know this, Jeremiah, egg whites and sugar, right? So I just went completely without a recipe. I was like, I'm just going to make the sugar syrup and put it into the, what's that? You went off-roading. I went off-roading, off-roading baking, completely crazy, right? Uh, So I um, heated up the sugar with a little bit of water until it got to 240 degrees Fahrenheit, just like you do for any Italian meringue and put it into the egg whites 
whipped it up, made the meringue. And then part of the problem I have with, I haven't even talked about this on here yet, but you're hearing it now. Swiss meringue buttercream is not my favorite. It just, something about the amount of butter to sugar. For me, it's out of whack. There's too much butter for my personal taste buds most of the time. And that's why in this case, I thought Italian meringue is so similar to Swiss meringue buttercream. So I thought, I'm just not going to look at a recipe. I'm going to put the butter in until to me, I like the texture and I like the taste. And I did five egg whites and then weighed out my sugar to be double of, um, I think I said one to one before, but it's actually two to one. I did. I weighed out my sugar so that it would be twice the weight of the egg whites. And normally with five egg whites, you would want to put four sticks of butter, a full pound. And I used only three and I thought the texture was great and still very strong butter taste. The frosting set up nicely. It's sitting on my counter, the leftover cake right now, and it's holding its shape beautifully. So I don't know. So I say, do what you want. Absolutely. Do it. Go off-roading. All right. So there's my off-roading, rambling, baking tale. Two to one, people. Two to one sugar to egg whites. Not one to one. Any water? Are you just melting the sugar as it is? I added a little bit of water. I did. I added a little water and then I put the lid on because I know a lot of people use a pastry brush to kind of wash down the sides to get any crystals down. But lately I've just been putting the lid on until it all starts to burble. And I feel like the condensation handles any sugar crystals on the edge. And yeah, so I did. I added a little water. I just feel like it adds a little safety net. It makes me feel secure. That's a great tip with the lid. Good job. Yeah, thank you. So, okay, did you go off-roading? What have you been doing? Off-roading baking? I guess a little bit. You be the judge. But I also was inspired by Kate's episode, and I made her mum's sponge recipe, which was really interesting and delicious, but so different than most sponge recipes that I've made. This one, you take the meringue, you're beating the meringue till it's, you know, it's stiff. And then you put egg yolks into the meringue one by one. Usually you're trying to keep the egg yolks and the the meringue separate, but now you're combining them, which is so interesting. And it's so interesting, the one by one too. That's very, yeah. very different. Very, very different. Very different. And it's uh the dry ingredients are a combination of custard powder, which randomly I had on hand. It's definitely more popular, I believe, in Britain and obviously Australia. Um, so that in cornstarch. So it has a really, really light texture and it bakes up beautifully. And she talked about using it to make jelly squares, which is an old fashioned Australian dessert. So what you do is you make jello. Jello people. Do you guys make jello? Of course. Sure, why not? <laughs> so all the recipes I saw. Um, called for packet jello, like you know, the ones that are already pre-mixed with sugar and flavorings. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. So this is my off-roading moment. I have a big container of powdered gelatin. And I looked at the recipe, um, which, you know, you can make any sort of gelatin-based um, dish. And I decided to make passion fruit jello. So I have passion fruit concentrate. I added sugar. I did the whole water, hot water, cold water thing. And the trick is, is to get the jello just slightly set. So it's not liquid anymore, but it's not fully set. And you take your cake, your sponge cake, and you slice it in half and you sandwich it with um, some whipped cream. 
and then you cut it into squares. You take those squares and you roll them or kind of coat them in that semi-set jello. And it gives us this kind of cool gloopy glaze. And, uh, and you roll it in coconut. And there's these gorgeous little, almost like petty four squares of cake that are rolled in coconut. And then when you bite into them, it has this beautiful, cool, outer, lovely, almost like jelly, like like jelly jelly or like jam. Um, I, I just loved it. It was delicious. It sounds fantastic. Now, I'm, I'm curious. So the rolling, does the cake hold together enough or does it start to crumble? Because that that's the part where I could see with me, it would definitely go off-roading. No, it held together great. And it is a really delicate sponge, meaning that you can squish it very easily. So you definitely want to be gentle. But what I did was I just plopped the squares into the jelly or the jello as it's, you know, it's semi-set. And I just kind of rolled them with my hands or like picked up like little handfuls of the jello and kind of just like rained it on top. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, well, that sounds pretty easy because also what I also would not like to do is have to use an offset spatula and like frost each edge of each square. That sounds way too tedious. No, this is super casual. You could have your kids do it for sure. Um, it would be fun for them actually because you get to roll in the coconut and I definitely chilled the cake beforehand once I had filled it with some whipped cream. So it was already a little bit, you know, more firm. Um, and I kind of took off some of the crumbs, but it's that kind of dessert where it doesn't have to be, you don't have to be super clean in your construction because once you roll it in this, this stuff, it's going to look great. It all gets covered up. Now, are these, how similar is this to a lamington? It is similar. I think the lamington cakes are not as light and Lamingtons can most often are rolled in chocolate before the coconut. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. And I believe they have jam in the center. Now I'm going on memory. So if any Australians are listening, I apologize if we got it wrong. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Okay. So it sounds like a cousin of the lamington, but definitely not quite the same. Yeah. Yeah. But I highly recommend giving them a try. All right. So today we haven't even started to talk about our guests just yet. I'm pretty excited. Oh, we've been having having so much fun off-roading, but now we're back on track. Who are we talking to? <laughs> so much for off-roading. Okay. Well, we're going to have Brigitte on. She's one of my Instagram friends. If you are on Instagram, please find her. She, and if you see in her profile, one thing that really drew me to her, of course, her beautiful cakes, but it says cake is food and food is art. What a great mantra. I think that we all probably identify with. Anyway, Brigitte has her degree in baking and pastry. She worked as a pastry chef for a while before starting this own independent venture. Um, And I just can't wait to learn more about what she does. Brigitte, welcome to Flower Hour. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's Hi. Our Hi. Yeah, Hi. we're so excited to talk to you. Um, you. <laughs> I, I definitely count you as one of my Insta friends for sure. And I'm just thrilled to get to know you a little bit better today. Absolutely. I feel exactly the same way. I think we've been following each other for some time now. And uh, when you guys asked me to do this, I was so ecstatic because I love to meet Insta friends, if not in person, at least through podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, if you guys are listening, you may be familiar with Brigitte already, but her name on Instagram is not Brigitte. It's Craft Cakes CLT. It's for Charlotte. So um, if you've been following her and you see her cakes, you know, they're extremely artful. 
just really beautiful works of art that you also really want to eat. And one thing I'm always curious about when I see people with that kind of approach to their baking, I want to know for you, what came first, your love of art or your love of baking? Um, I would definitely say my love of baking. Uh, but what has kept me interested in it is my love for art. That makes total sense. Yeah, it's it keeps it fresh, I think, right? Exactly. Yes, yes, absolutely. It keeps it fresh. It keeps it kind of looking for the next thing. Um, and just, yeah, just keeps it from becoming stagnant because even baking can become that. <laughs> absolutely. No, never baking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we've talked about that some on here. Like, I definitely go through my ups and downs. I mean, I'm always excited to see where the journey goes. I'm never ready. I always compare it to a relationship. I'm never ready to get divorced from baking, but it's a long-term relationship. And sometimes it's very romantic and sometimes it's just kind of, uh, you know, staying committed. So right, right. right. And just seeing pieces of art and going to museums and things like that just help keep inspiration flowing and kind of triggers creativity. So it's, That's part of the fun part. It's like, why am I at this museum? So that I can bake. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, take us back to when this baking love started. How did you fall in love with baking? Um, Well, I I guess it's kind of cliche because I have loved baking since I was a child. Um, I uh, always, I was a kid of the Food Network. Um, back in the 90s. And I used to watch Emerald and Bobby Flay's first show and East Meets West. And <laughs> when I got into like my uh, early teens, it was like Gail Gand and Jacques Therese, who were like my biggest idols. And I just wanted to be them so bad. And Alton Brown, of course. I mean, he just put like a scientific spin on everything and made cooking and baking make sense. So um, that's kind of where my love started and and just where it got cultivated and then how about your love of art um well i've never i could say i've never been artistic on paper um but my mom always put us in uh, ceramics classes um any art classes i always joined art classes in school and i can't say i was ever really good at it um <laughs> so I kind of found my artistic outlet on cakes. Um, And I, to this day, I try to draw on paper and it's not very good, Um, but I do very well on cakes. (laughs) And I I discovered that at my first cake job, Um, I was doing fondant cakes and it was very easy for me to develop um, skills and techniques um, being taught by a, a woman who mentored me there. And so I just realized, oh, you know, like this is my artistic outlet. It's so interesting to hear that you spent some time working with fondant because, and and I may have just missed the post, but I don't see that in your current work. Is that something that you still incorporate? I do not. I have gone strictly to buttercream now. Um, and I just love the, the artistic aspect of buttercream that I feel like until recently hasn't been really appreciated. Um, and fondant was beautiful, but I loved how uh, making a piece with buttercream can really look like a painting. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm like sitting here nodding my head because you're just <laughs> talking to my heart right now. <laughs> right? <I know. laughs> 
Absolutely. I'm curious because of the colors. I love the colors that you use on your cakes. And I'm curious, do you set out with a color palette and like mix up the colors and like, just what is your process like? Or, or is it a little more free flowing? I'm just always curious about how people arrive at the colors that they choose. So I'll, I'll go back to when I was working as a cake decorator about almost eight years ago or so, my first job um, when I was doing fondant, we used to get all these outlandish colors that they wanted on cakes because this was, I mean, strictly custom cake shop. You get what you want. So um, our, my a big job of mine was just to make these colors that would come on paper and on images and they'd say, I want this color. So that's the color we have to make. So um, the woman that was one of the the veterans at this cake shop, her name was Elida and a Venezuelan woman taught me how to mix colors really well and how um, certain colors will take away brightness and will dull out a different color and, you know, just kind of how, how to mix colors. So when I do a cake now, I, I basically try to look for a variation of a primary color. So I, I like to you know, make a blue into different tones by adding greens or more yellow, um, even like a purple tone and just see what I can get from that. Um, and, and just also just kind of like how you're feeling. And if I want to make it a moodier tone or a brighter, more vibrant tone. Th- those are awesome tips. Can you go a little bit more depth for our listeners? So explain that process of how you you started with a primary color and then what colors do you add to make them brighter or darker? I think just to hear the process would be super helpful. Sure, sure, sure. So let's go with, um, we'll we'll stay with, with, um, with, with blue. So if I want, uh, I have regular primary blue. I add that to my white buttercream. And I'll get the blue that I want. Now, if I want to go a lighter shade of blue, of course, I'll add some white um, white food coloring. Because if I add white buttercream, it's not really going to take me back. I'm going to have to add a lot to, to take that away. Um, but if I, I want to go more pastel or more light, I'll add white food coloring. Now, if I have a blue and I want it to be more dull, more like a, a cornflower blue, but not pastel, I'll add some brown because the brown will take away the shininess of, of a royal blue. Um, and black will do that also, but sometimes it might dull it way too much. Um, if I want a navy blue, I'll add black to that royal blue, and then I'll get the dark navy. Um, if I want, uh, let's say, a peach, I'll do a little bit of pink, add some orange, um, and... And yeah, just kind of variations like that. Because if you see my cakes, I like to use I like to use green and then make three different types of green that kind of, you know, will add depth to a piece. That's really helpful. Thank you. Now, yeah. what type of food colorings do you like to use? Um, right now, I use AmeriColor uh, food coloring. Um, and sometimes if I have a client who has allergies or a very sensitive digestive system, I use India tree colors, um, cause they're all plant-based, um, vegetable colorings. Um, 
And I also use sometimes uh, Sweet Sticks uh, edible art colors if I want to just paint on on the buttercream rather than mixing the color. It, it all really just depends on what I'm going for. But m- most of all, I guess you could say Americolor is the color that I use. That's the one that I use too. It's, I feel like yeah. the colors come through so vibrantly without having to use an uncomfortable amount too. Exactly. Yes. Yes. To, to your point, to um, avoid having to use so much uh, food coloring, uh, I'll put like a base of white under the, on the cake and then just make a thin, thin layer of the color that the client's asking for. That way you don't have to have like a quarter inch thick of red um, on a cake. So that just also kind of helps from keeping clients' mouths from turning purple and green (laughs) when they're eating their cake. (laughs) That's very, very smart. Yeah. Um, I've been curious because I know you do a lot of vegan buttercreams. And of course, I don't want you to give away any proprietary information that's top secret. Unless you want to. (laughs) Yeah. But (laughs) any info you can share about vegan buttercreams with us would be super interesting and very useful. Absolutely. So um, my goal with vegan buttercream was to make it as close to regular true buttercream as possible uh, for a few reasons. For flavor, um, for... um, choice of not wanting to use so much confectioner sugar like you would in American style buttercreams. Um, And for um, uh, uh, durability. So when you use true buttercream, you can chill it and it'll be firm and you can carry it around, you can dance with it. And as long as the sun's not hitting it, it's not going anywhere. Um, So I, I first started out with earth balance butter um, but it was like making an American buttercream where you have your butter and you add confectioner sugar. And that wasn't stable enough for what I wanted to do with cakes. Um, it gets soft very quickly after you take it out of refrigeration. So I said, how about we try using coconut? Because um, coconut oil acts as butter when you bake and it's firm at room temperature. You can chill it and, and it's white. So um, I, I made a coconut maple cream. So it's coconut sweetened with maple syrup and essenced with Mexican vanilla extract. Um, and it's not straight coconut oil. Um, it's coconut oil, coconut butter, and coconut cream. Um, and I'll say it because when the client asks, I tell them anyway, so it's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, initially, in, yeah, initially I'm like, oh no, I don't want to say it, but you know what? Anybody, you'll figure it out. Uh, you know, if somebody wants to figure it out, they'll figure it out. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's coconut, coconut oil, coconut butter, and the skimmed off top of coconut cream. Um, because that also firms up really well and it adds a creamy, uh, texture to, to the final product. And then I sweeten it with maple syrup um, as needed and then uh, add some vanilla. And that way, I, I mean, I'm able to mix it and I'm able to make colors, beautiful, beautiful colors out of it. So it's just, I love it so much. Now, unless the client absolutely hates coconut, 
they're all about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so smart to use the coconut cream because I've tried to make vegan buttercream with just coconut oil and it's mm-hmm. such a, it, it is so firm. I feel like at room temperature, I had trouble with it staying too chunky. And then when I tried to spread it, it was a little bit kind of tearing, if that makes sense versus yes. being super smooth. And I, I can imagine that coconut cream makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah. The coconut oil is really just a little bit of a stabilizer, um, but the, it's coconut cream and the coconut butter is where it's at. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I have sometimes it does crack on me a little bit, but if you soften it enough, it works. It works just fine. Also, your cakes are free from eggs and dairy, and you even have gluten free options. What are some of the ingredients you like to use to make your cake successful? Ooh, okay. I'm so excited to talk about this. So, um, I starting craft cakes, I wanted to work with local farmers as much as possible. Uh, cause I saw it happening a lot I, when I was a pastry chef in the industry, I saw it happening a lot between the savory cooks and the farmers. So I said, I want to merge that with baking. Also, I don't want to just leave the restaurant and never talk to a farmer again, unless I'm buying produce for my house. So I said, you know, why don't I make vegan cake batters that way I can use fruits and vegetables to supplement you know to replace the eggs and the butter in my products so I make uh, applesauce which with no added sugar or anything I I source my apples locally from Perry Low Orchards they're here in North Carolina um, and I make my own applesauce and I use that in place of eggs um, and then I use uh, almond milk or coconut milk in place of the dairy and the coconut milk of course if you're making a coconut cake it just lends beautifully to to putting that in your cake batter um and then uh the almond milk is a great replacement for dairy and if they're allergic to you know almonds or anything like that i'll use a rice milk um in place of it so um Making vegan cake batters has allowed me to kind of stretch the variety of ingredients inside my product from applesauce, coconut oil, you know, carrots, zucchini, pears. Um, uh, what else has gone in there? Um, can't think of anything else right now, but yeah, mainly apples. So uh, applesauce is a great ingredient uh, that I love to use. Um, we I source some from Perilo Orchards here in North Carolina, and I make my own applesauce in order to replace the eggs in a cake. So I basically make an applesauce, and I don't add anything to it. I've experimented with um, black twig, royal limber twig, um, crimson, and um, Arkansas black apples. Um, and I have to say at this point, Royal Limber Twig has been my favorite, but I keep getting recommendations to use Crimson Crisp. So I'm going to use that one coming up. And um, it is a great ingredient to using your cake because it replaces the eggs. It adds natural sweetness. And I don't have to add as much sugar as I typically would for a cake that has eggs and butter um, because I would be... Uh, uh, you know, trying to uh, uh, compensate for the savory eggs and butter when you're making when I'm making a cake. So it kind of makes it um, 
a little a little easier to bake, believe it or not. I mean, sometimes you have to add it at a weird time rather than after your butter and sugar, but it works and it tastes yummy. <laughs> Is it sort of equal weight um, substitution? Good question. So for every egg, you use a third cup of applesauce. It, and I just switch it out like that for my recipes that had eggs in them. Um, and they work just fine. That's so interesting. The applesauce, since it's applesauce that you made, is it is it a very um, similar texture to applesauce you would buy in the store? Or is it thicker or thinner or just basically applesauce as we know it? I, I puree it in a, a Vitamix. So it, it does come out pretty smooth, a little bit. Um, I guess it's not chunky. It's very similar to what you would buy, um, like baby food. Gotcha. <laughs> like baby gotcha. Baby. Okay. <laughs> baby food. Like a puree. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I, I try to keep it where it doesn't get too fine because I don't want it too watery. So, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm curious too, because you kind of, uh, you said sometimes you may add it at a different time versus after the butter and the sugar. At what point do you add the applesauce? So um, for one of my cakes, I do it instead of after the the coconut oil and sugar, I do it after I've added my flour and my milk. So I just very quickly just stir it in there with the paddle um, just before it's done. And I've tried it before, like putting it when, as if I was putting in eggs and it just doesn't work as well. The cake comes out more tough for whatever reason. So I just started kind of stirring it in at the end and it worked that well for me that way. Um, Yeah. It's so interesting how like changing when an ingredient goes in can make such a difference like that. I think that's interesting. Amazing, Amanda, how, how much the order in which you mix something has an effect on the full end result. It's crazy. Yeah. Now, what type of gluten-free flours do you prefer? Um, I like to use uh, Bob's Red Mill Gluten-Free Flour Blend. Um, And I like to use, um, I actually grind my own oats for one of my uh, pistachio cakes. Um, And so that's the main flour in there. Um, And then I like to use almond flour. Um, and yeah, basically oats and almond flour, I guess are my preferred flours to use. Um, but sometimes I do use the gluten-free flour blend. Good choices. <laughs> and yeah. you, you told us you wanted to feature uh, local farms, but what else inspired you to do free from cakes? Um, so it's kind of funny. <laughs> I when I started this, I like I said, I wanted to use local farms, but they're not the cheapest, um, you know, ingredients to use because they're coming from these farms in these areas with pasture raised chickens and and you know uh, you know hand picked items. But I really wanted to make an emphasis on keeping the product that I use coming from the community as much as possible. So what what really drove me to make vegan cake batters was that I didn't have enough money to buy eggs and butter to do in my cakes and in my frosting. So I started experimenting with vegan 
cake batter and I found out found how good it is on its own and then I have less sugar in there and I can save the rich and decadent pasture-raised eggs and local butter for my buttercream and it just became a really good uh, accompaniment to to the cake because a cake is like nice and, and refreshing when you eat it and then you have this rich decadent buttercream on the outside. What a great story. I love that. <laughs> it's kind of weird how it came about, but yeah, that's that's really that's really essentially what what uh what drove me to do that. And then I just stuck with it because I, I liked it and people liked it and I was able to, you know, accommodate dietary restrictions whether they're vegan or non-vegan, but what was important to me is as long as the cake is delicious, that's what I want. And whatever it takes to make it that way, that's how I want to make the cake. I think that's so interesting because when you see, you know, vegan or gluten-free, a lot of times I think people assume it's because of an intolerance or something like that. And more and more as I'm personally experiencing these different options, I'm finding sometimes it scratches the itch of what I'm craving. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really have much to do sometimes in my own case with health or, you know, an an allergy or something like that. But just like you said, because it's just very, very delicious. And I think that's such an interesting story. Yeah. And when I when I have clients that come in for wedding tastings and stuff, sometimes they're apprehensive and they're like, do you have anything that's, you know, not non-vegan? And I'm like, well, across the board, they just don't have eggs and milk in them. Just come in and try it. And then you see how you feel about it. And they always do. And they always love it. And I'm like, yay. (laughs) (laughs) So, but that's, but that's why I make, I make true buttercream because I'm looking for the best flavor and the best product. So I, you know, if, if I was strictly just wanting to be vegan, then I, you know, I wouldn't even use that, but I, I, I just want the best of whatever it is that I can get my hands on. Very cool. Um, so kind of back to buttercream, we want to know more about, um, kind of your decorating process, um, and any tips that you have that you would share with our listeners. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's, it's a process as I'm sure, you know, uh, Amanda and Jeremiah, <laughs> like it's not, you don't put it on one time and it's end of story. I, I have to go back to it about three or four times. Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll stack my cake, I'll do my crumb coat and I'll put it in the refrigerator to chill and then I'll bring it out and I'll do the first layer of buttercream, um, put that in the fridge and then bring it back out. And I kind of, uh, I, now that it's cold, I, I'm able to manipulate it a little better as far as sharpening edges and things like that. So I kind of like, I'll grab my palette and I'll, you know, scrape along the sides. I'll scrape off whatever I don't want from the buttercream as, as far as texture and, and the finish. And I actually, I don't, I don't take off the edge on top. I don't clean the edge until the very end um, because I just want the buttercream to build up as much as possible along the rim of the cake. And then I'll go be at the end with a knife and cut it off. So that way I can ensure that I have a super, super clean edge 
um, rather than trying to do it with the spatula. So that's interesting. You said you cut it off. You don't then spread it back across the top of the cake. Mm-mm, no, no. If I, if I need to kind of fill in some gaps, I will after with like my mini spatula, but, um, I, I just let it build up along the edge. And sometimes I leave it that way. Cause sometimes I want like that rustic look on the cake. Um, but when I want just clean 90 degree angles, I I'll use like a small paring knife and I'll just run it along the edge and it'll cut all that off. And then you have a 90 degree edge. <laughs> That's so smart. Yeah. I always, a lot of times I'll leave it just rough part because I'm lazy and part because I like how it looks, but yeah, I, I love the rough rustic look too. Yeah. But spreading it across was in my mind, like the only option. I love this idea of cutting it off. That's so smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's really rewarding because you're like, Oh, that edge, I have to get that edge off. And then when you <laughs> cut it off, you're like, Oh, it's clean. It's beautiful. So yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and then if I want um, like a textured finish, then I'll go after sometimes I'll leave Uh, like those holes that you fill in with the buttercream, I'll leave those because then I'll go and I'll put the, the buttercream of whatever color I'm texturizing with. I'll like press it into that gap. So then it kind of makes a cool like effect uh, shape in, in the, like uh, engraving into the buttercream, I guess maybe that's not the right word. I don't know, (laughs) but yeah. So um, it totally makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I do I really enjoy like rough textured finishes um but smooth cakes are just as fun um at the same time so so talk to us more about inspiration we you we heard how you love to go to galleries but what is it about art that inspires your cake designs and what are you looking for um I love asymmetry. So I I love a cake with straight edges, 90 degree angles, but I love your eye to dance around as you're looking at the cake and not really being able to focus or being able to focus on one point, but then you can turn the cake and you're looking at a totally different array of angles and shapes within the buttercream. So that's why I like to do the textured finish so much because you're looking at it from one side and you're like, Oh, that's so cool. How, you know, this blue, like, you know, brushes down the side, but then you turn it like just a quarter turn and you're looking at the reds and how that's mixing in with the rest of the colors. Um, And that's what I, I really look for in the cakes when I make them, um, I, I just like your eyes to be constantly moving around and looking at different sides and angles and, and, um, uh, yeah, different angles on the, on the cake. Um, I, I can't say I specifically have, um, an artist that I, that I am really inspired by or, or look to because I'm not that knowledgeable in art. I can't remember any, artist names really. Um, but I, I just, I just like looking at pictures and paintings on walls. <laughs> Absolutely. Inspirations everywhere. Uh, so I'm curious because, um, 
a cake business. It's so different baking cakes as a business than it is baking cakes for fun. Such a different experience. And I'm curious about from the design part, I assume your customers probably pick their flavors, but how much input do you allow your customers to have or, or is it different with each person on the design part of the cakes? So I've been fortunate enough to have clients who tell me, you do what you want. These are the colors that I like. Um, and so I didn't think I was going to have that much creative freedom from my clients. Um, being like I said, I came from a custom cake background where they tell you exactly what it is that they want um, uh, back in the day. Um, but they, uh, many of them say, you know, I like pink or I hate pink. Do whatever you want. It's for my daughter and I know you'll make it beautiful. And I really love that. Other clients, they'll say, hey, I love, I, I like this cake. And they'll send me a picture of one that I made previously. Um, and they want me to kind of follow that that rubric as far as how I made the cake or what flowers I used. Um, and sometimes I have had some clients show me a cake from somewhere else, from Pinterest or something. And I always say, you know, I, I can grab the colors from this cake. I can kind of get the vibe that you're going for, but I won't ever copy somebody else's work because it's just, I have a, a niche style that I like to do. And I'm like, if you'll let me do it in my style, then, then we're good. You know, otherwise I, I, when it, when they want something so specific that I don't feel like comfortable doing, I, I will recommend them to somebody else who works in that style. Um, yeah. So yeah. Perfection. Yeah. I can, again, very much identify with that. And I think it's great to support other cake businesses too. Cause especially if you live somewhere where there are enough people making cakes, there's someone who's able to make or enjoys making that kind of cake. And then I also right. think there's plenty of people who want the cakes that you make, you know, so there's right. Yeah. For everybody. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I would say eight times out of 10, someone says, I just, I like your work. They've seen, you know, my work on Instagram and they're like, I want a cake from you, by you. So that's the majority of, of the clientele or the requests that I get. Now we're recording this on the first day of spring and I want to know Woo! what sort of springtime flavors are you, you are you excited about incorporating? Um... I'm excited about incorporating strawberries, hibiscus, um, lemon, which lemon is, is an all year round flavor, but it, it really comes out in the spring a lot. Um, I'm excited to use some lavender. Um, uh, when bush berries start coming out, like blueberries, that's more in late spring, early summer, but, um, raspberries, uh, rhubarb. Oh, rhubarb is going to be a good one. Um, cause it's only here for about two or three months and then it's gone for good. Um, and some late spring peaches also. Uh, and I'll be honest, I haven't edited my, <laughs> my fall 
winter menu yet on the website. So <laughs> I still have my, my, my winter flavors on there, but I'll be changing them real soon because now it is the first day of spring. So <laughs> I need to get on top of that. <laughs> I was reading the fall ones last night and I was still drooling all over the screen. Like this is so yeah. good. But I have to change it because people are still ordering them. And I'm like, oh, I can't really get that stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> but All right. So kind of a classic. Now we have classic questions, Jeremiah. But a classic flower hour question. If you could bake for anybody, who would you bake for? And what would you make for them? <laughs> I would. I heard this on one of your last podcasts. And I was like, okay, I have to think of someone. So I would bake for George Carlin and I would bake him a something super schnazzy that he's going to hate. Um, I didn't think, <laughs> I, I didn't think that far into it as far as what exactly I would make him. Um, but I would make him, I would make him a gluten free pistachio cake. And I would make him that because it's like the antithesis of what he is. He is not into like, you know, I know if he was alive today, he would be making fun of the gluten-free crowd so much and the vegan crowd so much. And I, I just love how, how he just doesn't care and he'll say whatever's on his mind. So I would bake him that and then I would let him write jokes about it and he can say whatever he wants but he's gonna like it that's the thing I know he would like it but he'd have to say something something slick about it so yeah that's what I'd bake for <laughs> a joke inspiring treat yes. yeah I love it yeah <laughs> I love George Carlin he makes me laugh a lot <laughs> well thank you so much for spending this time with us this has been so much fun and so inspiring Thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. I wish I could ask you guys questions, maybe one day. But um, yeah, this was a really good time. Yeah, one day we'll like turn the tables. I always think that I'm like, maybe we should do like a five minute segment. Like, okay, now it's your turn. You go kind of thing. But yeah, work in progress. <laughs> We're always brainstorming and shaking it up. So you never know. <laughs> I know you guys are so busy all the time. I love it. It's, it's awesome. So thanks so much. Thank you guys so much. It's a blast. Well, thank you again. And uh, you're always inspiring me on Instagram. And I'm so excited to get to talk to you today. Likewise. Thank you guys so much. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. 